just a moment. But before we do, uh, I want to mention to you something that's coming up in two weeks. Two weeks from today will be the, uh, the culmination of Bike Week in Fort Collins. How many of you have participated in Bike Week in Fort Collins? All right, we have about 10 people who are in shape in this entire church. Well, we're going to help you. We are going to partner with them and celebrate Bike Week. And so what we're going to do is we're going to invite you um, to ride your bike to church. Two weekends, you can ride your bike to church anytime you want, but especially two weekends from this weekend, uh, we want to invite you to ride your bike to church. We're going to actually block off parking uh, in the west side there for bicycles. And uh, there's three rides that have been planned following the 1130 service. And so you can come back if you attend a different service or if you want to attend the 1130 and go from there. Uh, there's a family ride that's uh, like three to three to six miles. And then there's an intermediate ride that's about 24 miles. And then there's an advanced ride that's about 50 miles. And so if you are interested in that, there's a table in the mall, table number six. You can stop by there and get more information, get a flyer uh, about what's going to happen. And we'll partner with the city of Fort Collins and ride our bikes. All right. Also, on that same day, um, our, our, there's a Timberline motorcycle ride. So if you just need to exercise your forearm, then you can do the motorcycle ride. If you want to exercise the rest of you, the motorcycle ride leaves earlier, uh, like right after the 830 service, uh, I think, begins. They have a table in the mall as well. And so stop by there and uh, let's enjoy the fact that we live in Colorado where people spend thousands of dollars to vacation. Isn't that a great deal? to live here well then move if it's not such a great deal <laughs> you guys are quiet are you out there okay all right well the video that you just saw is uh is actually a video that was put together it's a compilation of some of the most famous paintings of jesus throughout history and they kind of morph together, as you could see. And as they're morphing together, the, the names that are attributed to Jesus throughout Scripture are, are flashed up there. And many of those names, if you would research those descriptions, uh, would be found in the Gospel of John. Uh, in the New Testament, there, the first four books of the New Testament are known as what? Gospels. They're called the Gospels. And the reason is because of what that word means. The word gospel literally means good news. And, and to a first century Jew, which is the context in which they were written, to a first century Jew, gospel was, was the message of, of God's long-awaited victory over evil and the rescue of his people. When you said gospel, that's the message that they associated that with. The Messiah coming and God righting all the wrongs for his people. In the Roman world, the word gospel had, had a meaning attached to it as well. And, and that meaning was the ascension or the birthday of an emperor. And so as we read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we actually see that, that Jesus, Jesus is affected by both of those concepts. He is indeed portrayed to be the Messiah, the long-awaited rescue of God's people, and, and as we learn through the Gospels, really of the whole world, of all humanity. And he is indeed a king, not just a king, but the king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Now, as you read those Gospels, you will discover that one of them is very different than the others. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic Gospels. That word synoptic... 
uh, means to see together. And in other words, they tell the story of Jesus in a very similar way, each from their own perspective, but but in a very similar chronological way. And they focus on the events of Jesus life. Well, then you get to John and John is very different and unique. John doesn't focus so much on the events and isn't so concerned with chronology. He is more person oriented and goes to great lengths to illustrate and exhibit and reveal the person of Jesus. In fact, no other book in all of the New Testament uh, reveals more about the person of Jesus, who he is and what he's like, than the Gospel of John. And so really, the Gospel of John is not a theological treatise primarily. It's more of a collection of portraits. It's kind of a gallery A gallery of paintings with one central theme, and that theme is Jesus. Now, hanging behind me on the backdrop, you may have noticed a a, a new scene back there. There are eight portraits that we have selected from the Gospel of John. And David Clack has helped us tremendously, someone who attends here, and getting those in frames and hanging those up here. What we're going to do over the next eight weekends is we're going to take one of those paintings, a different one each week, and bring it to the forefront. And we're going to talk about how John reveals Jesus to be that image and what that means to us today as followers of Jesus. That's why we've called this series Portraits of Jesus. And so next weekend, Pastor Derry is going to be with us and he's going to talk about the first portrait we see in the, in the Gospel of John of Jesus and it's the Word. In the beginning was the Word. What does that mean? And how does that impact our lives today? Pastor Derry will be talking about that next weekend. My task this weekend is to kind of set the stage and, and to talk about why John only had one subject when it came to his artistry. Now, if you're an artist, and I am not, but I have uh, talked with different artists, and my son, my youngest son, uh, happens to be an artist, and I've learned that many artists have kind of a specialty, that, that there are certain things that they paint or they draw. Some it's landscapes, some it's animals, for some it's people. Some of you, you may have my gift, my genre of art would be... The exquisite stick figure. How how many of you are of my genre of art? See, now, I wanted to do that for one reason, because I wanted to feel for just a brief second what it would be like. Your anticipation that, oh my goodness, we didn't know Pastor Rob was an artist, and I felt that for just a little bit. Okay. All right. For John, for his specialty, if we can use this artistic metaphor, was Jesus. He always painted Jesus over and over again. He, he gave us these pictures, these images of who Jesus was and what Jesus was like. Now, if you will, turn with me to almost the end of the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, he tells us the reason for this gallery of paintings known as the Gospel of John. Alright, John chapter 20 verse 30, you can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible. This is what it says. John writes, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. 
So John does not leave us to wonder why he would write the things he wrote and why he would give us the images he gave us of Jesus. He says it so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. The word Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, the anointed one sent from God to rescue his people and ultimately all of mankind, ultimately to reconcile his whole creation. And that by believing that he is the Christ, the son of God, you may have life in his name. That was John's desire. Now, I want you to do something on your bulletin. This is not a blank to fill in, but if you will, we use this on Wednesday nights. When I teach on Wednesday nights, so we're going to try it on a weekend and uh, see how it works. All right? I want you to write two words on your bulletin. I want you to write the word believe and live. Believe and live. That's the heart of what John's trying to communicate in the Gospel of John and really throughout the story of Jesus is to believe and live. To help us better understand where John was coming from, John wrote a letter, and it, actually he wrote more than one letter, but there's a letter in the New Testament called 1 John. If you turn towards 1 John, it's towards the end of the Bible, um, and we actually did a study on this on Wednesday nights, verse by verse. And so I want us to look at the first four verses of this letter that John wrote. First John chapter one and verse one. You can follow along on the screen. It says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched this. We proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. I would suggest to you that in those few verses and in the Gospel of John, we can discover the heart of the Gospel. That's what I've called this message, the heart of the Gospel. How many of you, how many of you were at a biker service last Sunday? I know this is the 830 crowd, but how many of you adjusted your attendance? Okay, a number of you went. If you missed last week's biker service, I gotta tell you, if church is ever cool, last week it was cool. It was cool. We had we had a packed house. We had lots of leather. We had, we had pipes. And those pipes made noise. We had exhaust here. We had, we had volume and we had electric guitars and we had Sarah Kelly being Sarah Kelly. She was awesome. And we had Jeff Lucas, Pastor Jeff Lucas, from the United Kingdom, who never in his life has ever been accused of being a biker. And he did a phenomenal job. He was hilarious as Pastor Jeff can be, and, and yet pointed and convicting and challenging. And at the end of that biker service, Pastor Jeff gave an invitation to the people who had gathered in this room and P, I was in the very back and I watched as people throughout this room responded 
to this invitation as they lifted their hand and we had prayer together. And what made that so powerful was the invitation that was being given. What what Pastor Jeff was inviting people to see, he was not inviting people to a life without problems. That wasn't the invitation. It wasn't to a, a life of perpetual health and wealth. It wasn't to a set of doctrines. It wasn't an invitation to new behaviors. It wasn't an invitation to a new philosophy or new habits or a new image. It wasn't an invitation to a new religion. It was an invitation to Jesus. That was the invitation. Do you want to know Jesus? To believe in Jesus as the one sent by God, anointed by God to be the rescuer of his people, including you and including me, to redeem and reconcile his creation to himself, to know the Son of God and through him to know the Father and by believing to have life in his name. Because biblical belief is not merely an intellectual assent, but it is a trusting surrender to life in his name with Jesus as Lord. Now that doesn't mean doctrine's not important. It doesn't mean that our behaviors don't change. We'll talk about that. But the essence, if you're taking notes this morning, the essence of the gospel is Jesus. The essence of the gospel is Jesus. I've talked about this before. All of our teaching pastors in one way or another at different times have talked about this because we believe it so passionately. The reason it's so important that we get this right, that the essence of the gospel is Jesus, is because if we get it wrong, then all sorts of problems are created and everything else goes wrong after that. The moment Jesus is not the center, we're headed for all sorts of trouble. Now, let me talk to you a little bit. I want to, I want to create a parallel scenario, if you will. The scenario that I grew up perceiving. I don't know that it was the doctrine actually, that was taught. But the scenario I grew up in, in church, had a different picture than the one we're going to paint from what John wrote. Um, when I grew up as a child, what I came to believe what that, that was the essence of the gospel or Christian faith was, was not Jesus so much as it was conformity. That's what I grew up believing, the essence of the gospel was it was conformity it was the the heart of it all was that my life needed to conform and usually that conformity had to do with external behaviors and and there was a list that was created and that list came to be known as holiness this is what's holy it's that your life conforms to this list and on that list there were things that had a biblical basis and there were things that really were more cultural that you couldn't really find in the bible but i was taught this is what holiness is and the essence of what faith is is that you conform to this list okay and so that's kind of the the journey that i grew up on and we'll continue to flesh out this paradigm as we walk through but for john it seems very clear that the essence of the gospel was jesus John writes this letter that we just read part of to believers, followers of Jesus, who were being assaulted uh, by, their, by, their, by people attacking their faith. And the heart of that assault 
was was right at who Jesus was. And we don't have time to unpack the culture there and the context too much, except to say that what was happening was what came to be known later as, as a heresy called Gnosticism. And it attacked the very heart of who Jesus was. And so John writes this letter to encourage these believers, these followers of Jesus, and he begins the letter by saying, look, what we proclaimed then and what we proclaim now was the life. And that life was with God and that life appeared to us. We've seen him with our eyes. We've touched him with our hands. We've heard him with our ears. We proclaim to you Jesus is what John said. You can read in the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And Paul says, when I was with you, I resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. In other words, Jesus was my message. And the reason is because... Jesus is the message. Jesus is the gospel. He is the message of God intervening in the human condition and rescuing us. He is God's plan of rescue for you and for me, as well as all those who would call upon his name. Jesus is the essence of the gospel. Okay? Then John says that the reason he proclaimed Jesus was so that they would have fellowship with each other, and their fellowship was with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. So, again, if you're taking notes, jot this down. The goal of the gospel is relationship. The goal of the gospel is relationship. The essence is Jesus, and the goal is relationship. When John says to have a life in His name, he's talking about it is characterized by a relationship. Now, We could spend a whole series talking about the aspects of that relationship. Let me just give you two that are important for us to know. All right, the first one is that, and this isn't in your notes, but you can jot it down if you want, is that this relationship is a relationship that required reconciliation because the relationship was broken. And so in order to have relationship, we had to be reconciled. Paul, again, we've talked about this before too, but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Here's what Paul wrote and how he said it. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice the colon there. So he's going to tell us what the ministry of reconciliation is. Here it is. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That's the ministry of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him. Who's him? Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. We broke the relationship. We rebelled against the relationship that God intended for us to have. But it's God who pursued us. It's God who paid the ultimate price so that we could be reconciled to him. This is a relationship that must be reconciled. When Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Or or literally life overflowing. That's a big part of what he was talking about. An abundant life is a life that is reconciled to God. 
Now see, that's why it's so important that Jesus is the center and the essence. If, if you read that verse through the lens of, of Western culture and consumer-obsessed, materialistic Western culture, then, then you may create a gospel that, that is known as the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. Because you can't imagine an abundant life that doesn't consist of an abundance of things. But when you read that verse through the lens of Jesus is the essence and the center of the gospel, then you come to know no matter if I have a lot or if I have nothing, as Paul said, if I'm reconciled to him, my life is overflowing. It is abundant. That is the abundant life that Jesus spoke of. And that reconciliation creates fellowship with each other. We have this unique bond together as the body of Christ that goes beyond friendship. It's a fellowship we have because we've been reconciled to God. That's part of this goal of relationship. Now, another part of, the, of this aspect of relationship is, is that it has to do with kingship. It has to do with Jesus being Lord of our lives. The relationship that is the goal of the gospel is, is this metaphor of kingdom that Jesus spoke of frequently. The primary message that Jesus taught while he was on this earth was about the kingdom of God. The rule and the reign and the protection and the way and the values of God in our lives. That was his primary message. Believing so that we have life in his name, believing involves surrendering to Jesus as king. And if Jesus is king, that means you can't be. There's only one crown. If it's on your head, it means Jesus is not king. But if you lay it at his feet, then he can be king of your life. That's what that relationship is about. And yes, that relationship in some ways is personal. It's deep. It's intimate. All of that, yes. But he's not just a pal. He's king. He's Lord. And our relationship with Jesus as king... In that relationship, by the work of His Spirit, our lives are transformed and our external lives begin to change. But they're changing from the inside because of our relationship with Jesus as King, as Lord of our lives. Now, back to my little parallel journey here as I was growing up. The essence for me was conformity. The goal... The goal was not so much relationship as I understood it, but the goal was escape. That was the goal. The goal was to escape, first of all, the world when Jesus came back, and ultimately to escape hell. And the, the interesting part about this paradigm is that what determined whether or not you would escape was how well you conformed. And so you're never totally quite sure, but, but all I knew is that the relevance of this life, the life that we live now, was really to make sure I conformed so I could escape and to tell everyone that I knew that they better conform too so that they can escape. Right? So you can begin to see the different track that's created when anything but Jesus is the center. Alright? And we'll come back to that again in just a moment. Okay, so finally, John says in his letter, we write this to make our joy complete. We write this to make our joy complete. Your Bible, if you have a different translation, it may say, we write this to make your joy complete. And the reason is because that Greek word can be used for your or our. doesn't matter that much. The point, really, is that the result of the gospel is joy. 
the result of the gospel is joy. When Jesus is the center, the essence, and relationship is the goal, the result is joy. Last weekend, if you were not in the biker service, in the other services we had, Pastor Jeff did a wonderful job talking to us about joy from Paul's perspective. And we spent four weekends in the book of Philippians, a little New Testament book, whose main theme, the main theme of that book is joy, and Paul wrote it from prison. That gives you a pretty interesting perspective on joy, doesn't it? When from prison you write a whole book, a whole letter to people, and it's all about joy, and actually in that letter you say, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice, Paul says. Why? The the powerful part about understanding this is that this means that our joy is not tied to what happens in our life. It's not tied to the circumstances that come against us or that we encounter. It means that our joy is tied to Jesus and our being reconciled to Him. And that is a joy that will sustain us when times are difficult, when there's pain, when there's disappointment, even when there's disillusionment, when there's hurt in our life, there is a joy that runs deeper than the emotions that we feel. And that joy is tied to Jesus, who is a constant. And our being reconciled to Him, that's why Paul can write a letter about joy from prison. Because it wasn't tied to his physical condition. It wasn't tied to his chains. It was tied to the fact that Jesus was the center And he was reconciled relationally with God. So that's an important piece in understanding all of this. Now, you go back to my little scenario here. If if the essence is conformity and the goal is escape, you can maybe guess what the result was. The result was fear. And the reason the result was fear was because... I I never really knew if I had conformed enough that I would escape when the time came. See, the interesting thing about this paradigm is it was all eschatological, which is a fancy way of saying it all had to do with the end. It all had to do with either when Jesus came back or when I died. It was all about that. And if I didn't conform enough, I wouldn't escape, and so there was always fear. I remember as a young child, um, I don't remember how old, my parents were in town uh, last night and so they came to church and we chatted about this and 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 it we had some laughs but i was probably maybe five or six years old and we went to see a movie together which was a big deal because movies were on that list they were on that list of conforming you don't go to movies and and so we just called it a film and that somehow it was okay if it was a film and not a movie and and uh, it's kind of like cards cards were a sin you couldn't play cards unless they were rook cards because somehow rook was sanctified or something i'm not sure how that worked either but but we went to see this movie this film and it was actually at some friend's house in their basement so we're like going in under it's like we're selling pot in the basement of our friend's house right uh, and so we sneak in to watch movie and there's a bunch of people in the basement and it's the old you know the two real projector thing and we show film the film is called a thief in the night has anybody ever seen the movie Oh my goodness, there's a lot of you who have seen that movie. There's a lot of you that haven't. We're showing it next week. You better be here, alright? Well, I'm like five or six years old. I watched this movie, and the movie is basically about Jesus coming back and taking those who, who were ready to meet Him 
And, and it was really a movie about those who were left behind. And I can still hear Larry Norman. You know, he's like the grandfather of Christian rock music singing, There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Do you remember the song? I watched that as like a five or six year old kid. And I don't mean this in a, in a, a, a cussing way, but it scared the hell out of me. Literally. The hell was scared right out of me. Every, at least for a while. I remember going home from school and if I walked into the house and my mom was in the backyard pulling weeds and I said, Mom, and I didn't hear anything, my heart started to pound. And you know what I did? I began to go back over. Have I conformed? Did I do anything today? Did I miss it? Did I, did I miss the escape? And so there was this perpetual cycle of fear. And, and here's the reason I tell you that. You may be asking, why we don't really care how you grew up. Okay, I understand. But here's why, here's why I share that with you. I, I share it for two reasons. One, because I'm amazed at how many people I meet who, who still either have or, or have been scarred by a paradigm like this. And because I, I, have, I have a little bit of concern that, that there are times when the evangelical church has relied too heavily on, fe- on a gospel that's driven by fear. There seems to be in some circles the idea that people will, will never actually live for Jesus unless they're in a constant state of fear over what will happen if they mess up. I've actually met people, I met a gentleman years ago, not here in Fort Collins, and it was in a different city, but a gentleman who actually told me he wants his kids to go to bed every night wondering if they're going to make it to heaven so that they'll, it'll be a motivator for them to live right. I think that's abuse. It's a spiritual abuse of people. And so what happens, I think, is that sometimes the church begins to traffic in fear. Whether it's things like declaring that when terrorists fly fly planes into buildings, that it's God's judgment, and if we don't straighten out, it's going to happen again. Or when a hurricane takes out New Orleans and there's threats of, this is what happens if you don't conform, if you don't live right. Or when fear runs rampant over things like Y2K or now swine flu or who's elected to the White House before I generate any more communication cards. I'm going to move on here. I'm actually going on vacation, so I'm not going to see him. Don't bother writing him. <laughs> Here's the point. The people of the kingdom are not to be characterized by fear no matter what the circumstances are. We're the church. We are the body of Christ. We have been reconciled to a God who loves us, who's bigger than all of that stuff. As people of the kingdom, we ought to be characterized by a joy and a hope that is rooted in Jesus. And it's rooted in His kingdom coming and His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. 
in our self-auditorium right now in our tradition service, a few minutes ago, most likely, because it happens most every week, you all quoted the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're about. We are kingdom people. And we are not to be characterized by fear. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that there's not a healthy biblical aspect for the fear of the Lord. I'm not talking about an arrogant, flippant attitude towards God or towards what God says in His Word or a flippant attitude towards sin. I'm not talking about that in any stretch. I'm not even saying that fear is not a motivator. Fear is a motivator. But I would say that fear is usually a temporary motivator. And there's a much better motivator. And it's called love. See, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved me that He gave everything so that my life When I didn't care about Him, when I didn't want to be reconciled to Him, He gave everything so that I would have the opportunity to be reconciled to relationship and right standing with Him. And when I somehow begin to grasp that in my finite mind, the only response I know is worship. And you know what worship really is about? Worship is not the songs that we sing. Worship is me saying, because of that, there isn't anything I won't give you. You get all of me. My response of worship is to take my life as a living sacrifice. It's all yours. Friends, I'm telling you, love is so much more of a powerful motivator than fear. When we learn to walk in that kind of love, there is a magnetism. Paul talks about shining like stars in the universe. We shine like stars in the universe when we begin to grasp the depth of God's love. For us, and we begin to respond to that love with wholehearted devotion and surrender to Him. You know, when it's all said and done, there's really only one invitation that this church makes. It's the invitation Pastor Jeff made last weekend at biker service. It's the invitation John makes in his gospel. It's the invitation Paul makes when he talks about preaching Christ and Him crucified. It's an invitation to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing to have life in his name. To invite Jesus as king over your life. It's an invitation to Jesus as all the things that John portrays in his gospel that Jesus is. The word, the bread of life, the healer, the servant, the resurrection and the life, the way, the vine, the good shepherd and all that and more. To believe and have life in his name. A lot of what we're about as a church, I was thinking about this, a lot of what we're about is to give that invitation, and then after the invitation, we're just journeying together to do life in His name. That's really what we're about. What would happen, what would happen if we identified ourselves not as Baptists or Presbyterians or Methodists or Assemblies of God or Pentecostal or or even, dare I say, Christian because of all the connotations that are attached to that term. What if we identified ourselves as people surrendered and submitted to living life in Jesus' name? And the passion of our heart and life 
was to let the work of the Holy Spirit transform us to live every day in His name, in His way, under His rule and reign in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me, please? We're going to pray. And before we let you go, I would be remiss to, to not give you an opportunity if you're in this room today and you would say, I have not yet really accepted the invitation to Jesus. I'm not inviting you to Timberline Church right now. I'm not inviting you to, uh, to, to an organization. Uh, though the body of Christ is important, don't misunderstand me. But the invitation, the invitation is to Jesus. If you would say today, I, I need to give my life to Jesus today. I want to give my life to Him. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand right now and just say, include me in this prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. You can put them right back down. Thank you so much. Several of you. We rejoice with you. We're going to pray together. I would like to invite all of us to stand as we close in prayer. And, and let's make the focus of our prayer be for those who raised their hand and said, Yeah, I want, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. Father, we come before you today incredibly grateful for your love for us, overwhelmed, not even understanding how you could love us the way that you do. And your love wasn't just spoken, it was demonstrated in the gift of your Son. And our only response to you then is to worship you, which is really about surrender. You saw each person in this room who lifted their hands and said, I want to surrender to you, Jesus, as King, as Lord. I believe. You are the one sent by God. You are the one who died on a cross and took my sin and the punishment for that sin. And you are the one who rose from the dead. And so now I turn from living my way and I surrender to living your way. I take the crown off my head and lay it at your feet. You be king. You be Lord of my life. And show me, teach me, grow me with this body in what it means to live life in your name. Thank you, God, for forgiveness. We love you. We honor you today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have a great prayer team. If you would like prayer, they're going to make their way to the front now. They would love to take your hands and pray for you. Otherwise, I love you. God bless you. Thank you for letting me speak into your life. Be careful as you go away.